you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on your Monday afternoon on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Find the podcast Wherever you get your podcast, follow Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. If you want to call into the show, I would imagine there's a lot to talk about here on this Monday after the big game. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. And that's right, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the NFL Championship, bringing it home to Tampa Bay winning 31 to 9 over the Kansas City Chiefs in the big game last night. I hope everybody had a good time watching that. Say goodbye to football for months now. And uh, I guess we're going to have to summon baseball season pretty soon. Auburn baseball will be coming up in a couple weeks. We're inside the two-week window leading up the first pitch for Auburn baseball. That'll be when baseball season hits. And then obviously the MLB will be hitting spring training pretty soon as well. But goodbye football. Uh, I guess it'll be the NCAA tournament will be coming up soon as well. We're still in the midst of college basketball season. But, of course, once again, we're going to have to find a way to cope without football. Levi, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, it's a good, enjoyable night to a degree sometimes. A lot to talk about. I got a lot to talk about that game, man. Of course, it feels like the most recent Super Bowls really haven't been that great of games. You get a 31-9. to This one was kind of... A sleeper for me. I'm, I'm trying to stay optimistic. Just there was so much, so much bad for me personally in that game. Well, I you're just, a Saints fan. We have to remind people of that, and you obviously don't want to see a divisional rival win. But overall, I think for the average football fan, the game was pretty boring. Yeah, that's what me and Sting were talking about before you walked up in here. I said I think that was top three in terms of just purely what I'm watching. Probably just like a top three worst one. I mean you. I equate it kind of with that Rams-Patriots that unless you just love some good old-fashioned defensive struggle. I actually really liked watching that Super Bowl. I didn't really like it that much, but that, I mean, the other reasons probably impacted the reason I didn't want to watch that one. Who was one. the halftime performer for that Super Bowl? I don't remember for the one in Atlanta that year at all. I remember Sting, do you know who performed for the halftime show on the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl 10-3? I know you're looking up on that one. Because I was more disappointed about the halftime show in that game than the actual game because that was the year that I was expecting Sweet Victory to be played at halftime. You know, the SpongeBob song, Sweet, Sweet Victory, yeah. I was hoping for that, and it did not happen. So I was disappointed and angry for the second half because of what happened at, at halftime. But do you have that? Have you, have you found it yet? I'm looking it up. I haven't, looking I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't found it yet. Of course, I think the storyline coming out of this, if we're equating it locally – in terms of last night's ball game, and I know you're ready to get into it, and I'm ready to incense you because you are not happy about our discussion on this on Friday, but I felt like former Auburn cornerbacks Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, I felt like they looked strong in this game for Tampa Bay. I felt like, although the secondary for Tampa Bay got a lot of help from their defensive line and that pass rush, that front seven was flushing 
Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket endlessly. There was no end to it last night on the pass rush for Tampa Bay getting out there after the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Of course, they had him looking like Bo Nix out there trying to throw the ball before he got sacked, diving, throwing the ball all around. I mean, they 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 had him constantly on a bad toe, no less, moving around inside and outside the pocket. And you had to know that was the game plan for the t- the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going into it considering they had to know that this guy's had turf toe and that that must still be bothering him going into this game. So why not try to get after the quarterback? Because you're going to have a hard time guarding these receivers for longer than three seconds. It's impossible. I'm saying don't buy the cheese. I mean, I, Carlton Davis stat-wise had a good game, but I mean, he didn't really do anything simply for the fact that the defensive line was so impressive in that game that he didn't really have to. I'm not saying that he had a bad game because he had a good game. Tyreek Hill didn't do anything. So, but I think he had a lot of help. I don't think that, I think it speaks more on the defensive line than it does Carlton Davis at all, because I still think Carlton Davis is a C-rated cornerback at best, and I don't think that last night his stats reflected what his game is. I don't know why we're pointing out Carlton Davis in specific here, though. Like, why not Jamel Dean or Antoine Winfield or Whitehead oh, or any of the other Antoine corners? Winfield's fantastic. He's a, an amazing But how amazing did he not benefit back. from the defensive line? I'm saying in general he's a – I'm not saying just from the game alone. I'm saying in general I think Winfield's a great player. I think in general Carlton Davis is not a good player. I think last night his stats looked better simply for the fact that the defensive line helped him out a lot. You're going to have a hard time selling me on that because I think Carlton Davis has been a solid corner all year long, and, and I think last night he showed it. Of course, corners are going to have bad games. They're going to get beat sometimes, and he got beat in the NFC title game. But last night him and Jamel Dean both showed up when it mattered. You look at some of the PFF stats – for last night for Carlton Davis in coverage PFF tweeted this out 54 coverage snaps so 54 times Carlton Davis had to drop back into coverage was only targeted four times that disparity there between the 54 coverage snaps and the four targets a lot of that probably is helped out by the pass rush 100 percent but the the two receptions on the four targets for only 14 yards he was there in tight coverage he must have made a tackle right away Carlton Davis is a solid cornerback Jamel Dean I felt like had an awesome game last night Jamel Dean's responsible for one of those interceptions late in the ball game that he got his hand on so I've been uber impressed with Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, the entire Buccaneers secondary mainly because and including me I was a part of the discussion last week and of course, if you were an Auburn fan, your rooting interest was probably the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not only because they're relatively local, Auburn loves to go and play in the Outback Bowl, so you've probably visited the stadium a couple of times, and then also you got the Auburn players playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was probably your rooting interest last night, and of course, the discussion all week centers around Carlton Davis against Tyreek Hill after getting torched by him in the regular season, and that's not because Carlton Davis is a bad cornerback, it's just a bad matchup for him. Tyreek Hill's a bad matchup for any cornerback, but especially more physical, slower corners like Carlton Davis. I'm not saying that Carlton Davis is slow, but his 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 name to fame is not speed. It's, it's physicality, and within that first two to three yards of the line of scrimmage before you can get called for illegal contact and PI and holding and all that stuff. And last night, we didn't have to see the cornerbacks in coverage for too long, but they still had a solid game, aside from anybody trying to guard Travis Kelsey last night, you know, because he still came away with 10 catches again, himself. Travis, Kelsey, Kel- Travis Kelsey's a bad matchup for just about anybody sure. as well. And all of these him. guys are. Sammy Watkins, Miko Hardman, all of them are with the way that this offense is engineered. You got to give Todd Bowles a lot of credit last night with the defense that he put together and all of the the different fronts that he put on the field and all of the different blitzes everything was disguised the pressure was a big part of last night but we have to give 
the secondary credit when all week last week the conversation is Carlton Davis versus Tyreek Hill and Carlton Davis won if we're going to talk that game all week and then if Tyreek Hill had ended up torching him then we're going to obviously credit Tyreek Hill then when Carlton Davis comes up big in this game we got to credit Carlton Davis as well I was super impressed I was very pleased and uh, you got to give it up for the former Auburn, Auburn guys you love it when on the biggest stage you see Auburn guys at cornerback when everybody wants to talk about LSU Alabama and Ohio State as DBU well these guys are a big part of Auburn inserting itself into the league especially recently with solid defensive backs and I think that's a positive moving forward for the Auburn position group itself trying to sell that to recruits like hey you can come here you can play for us and you will make it to the NFL because you look at some of the names that have gone to the NFL from Auburn secondary you look at Carlton Davis Jamel Dean Daniel Thomas has made it who else am I leaving off uh, Noah Igbenogany's made it to the next level I'm sure I'm leaving somebody else off I think Denson may have even gotten drafted but I, I obviously we haven't heard a peep out of him in the league so primarily you think about those four guys right away Stephen Roberts made it into the league with the Eagles for just a little bit he's obviously not there anymore but just there have been a handful of players that have made it to the NFL recently and they've all played significant minutes for their football team and significant downs for their football team, especially Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, and Noah Igbenogany. And so I think that, that if anything, is just a huge positive thing for Auburn moving forward that those, that those three players specifically are on Sundays and people can see them and attribute them to Auburn. Of course, Daniel Thomas, a fifth-round pick, we haven't really seen him a whole lot for the Jags, but maybe in the coming years he'll be able to, he'll be able to up his, uh, his usage rate. And it is good. It is good for Auburn to see players on the big stage, on you know the biggest game in football. It's good to see that. It's good for a recruiting standpoint. It's good for the players who are on the team currently who are thinking, I do have a shot. I do have a shot of making an impact in the league. But there's so much that there's so much that happened in that game. And just I'm going to keep this one right here with the Auburn connection. And I saw a tweet today because I was going to talk about this, but I saw someone who was talking about so Auburn family. You guys see what happens when a talented quarterback gets no help from the offensive line. Maybe cut Bo Nix a little bit of slack. And I'm not equating Bo Nix's talent to Patrick Mahomes' talent because Definitely we not. know that Patrick Mahomes is, you know, just one of the most talented quarterbacks, if not the most talented quarterback we've ever seen, at least from a talent standpoint. He he looked bad. He looked bad last night. And that's what happens when you hike the ball and you're immediately running around. You he couldn't step up in the pocket. He had to get flushed out every time, and you noted it, especially with his bad turf toe injury that he's been, the nagging turf toe that he's had. He's having to run around all the night, all the whole night. Guy's in his face the second he snaps the ball. You can't do anything. So next time that you're getting really upset about Bo Nix because he was scrambling out of the pocket because he had no protection whatsoever, just, just think back on the Super Bowl when you saw the greatest football player we've ever seen at quarterback, probably, at least from a talent perspective, we, you saw I don't him. Know. Tom bad. Brady did just win the Super Bowl. Tom last Brady didn't night. really do anything last night. I mean, he really didn't do much last he night. Three touchdowns from like he one, was super from, efficient from he one was, yard out and seven yards out. And what was he? Two. I mean, he was. Let, let's look at the final stat line for him. He was twenty-one for twenty-nine, two hundred one yards, three touchdowns. Super efficient. That's Alex Smith with three touchdowns. That's Alex Smith with three touchdowns. I don't want to hear again. Tom Brady. The best thing he did in that game last night was be on the team and get the. Narcissist, the narcissistic egotist on his side, which throwing flags on every single play for the Chiefs. How how do you not call an uncatchable ball on a PI when it goes into the stands? 
They called a P.I. on a ball that sailed out of the back of the end zone into the stands. How How is that not? You're talking a, about the Tyron Matthew play? Uh, do, where, yeah. he, where he yes, I believe that, that was catchable. Okay. That ball hit yeah. the that ball hit the very bottom of the wall at the back, and that oh, that yeah. one is catchable. When you're looking at Mike Evans, you know, north of six feet tall, obviously he's not a short receiver. He's a tall receiver. He's a big bodied human being. He can jump. And Tyron Matthew, from the very get go of the play, super grabby DB already. Within you know, outside of five yards of the line of scrimmage, puts his hands on him and runs him completely off of his route. You can't do that. That's pi. You just can't. And Tom Brady had the had the wherewithal to be able to throw the football in the general direction. I'm I also see. not here to talk about the refs blowing that game because every single flag you see called in that ball game, you're like, yeah, that was a flag. I, I just don't agree. Now I there saw is a, lot a discrepancy there. I saw there. a lot of flags that just were not flags that you do not call in those situations, and they weren't getting called on the other side. So you're telling me that all of a sudden the Bucks just tightened it together and became so much more in line and tight knit than the Chiefs were. I just I just don't buy that. You cannot continue to put out a product like this that the NFL does on consistent big stages where you see referees taking control. There was a solid like what felt like six minutes of game time. It was about 15, 20 minutes right before the second half where every single play that the Chiefs benefited from, there was a flag. Do the Chiefs win this game if the Buccaneers have oh, no, no, no. 30, more, 30 more penalty I'm not, yards? I'm not blaming that. I'm I'm sorry, I need to you know clarify that. I'm not blaming that the game was decided by the refs in terms of the score. I think the Chiefs were straight up outplayed by the Buccaneers. 100% at every phase of the game. I'm just saying it looks bad for the NFL, for people who, to watch. There's a lot of people who don't watch NFL who watch the big game, and that's what they're seeing. And you're not going to get new fans that way. Nobody's going to say, you know what? I like watching the game get stopped every two seconds because some narcissist is over here making a bad call. I don't know if we can you know name call referees in this ball game I, I look I thought it was fine I, I didn't get caught up in the officials on this one and I was just wanting a good ball game I didn't really have a a rooting interest going into this game I just wanted I just wanted a good football game now I didn't get a good football yeah, we game didn't get that but I, I don't think that that's the referee's fault I want to go back to the Tom Brady point because you said he didn't have to do anything look here's the thing about the Tom Brady debate versus Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers Tom Brady versus insert quarterback here I'm not going to just get into the fact that half of his career he's made to the Super Bowl. I'm not, I'm not just going to get to that. that. That is a quantifiable stat. But what is not quantifiable that people have a hard time wrapping their head around is his leadership, his professionalism, and just the ability to win ballgames. There are no stats on that. And so people really need to take that into account in the debate. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you in the studio. Now we're going to welcome in intern Sting to join us for some college basketball talk. The Auburn Tigers falling to Ole Miss in overtime on Saturday. Third straight loss for the Auburn Tigers. Auburn basketball reeling right now. Tough losses. I don't feel like Auburn's played bad per se. I just don't think they've played well enough to win. They've played average while their opponents have shown out and have risen to the challenge to defeat the Auburn Tigers it's tough for Auburn basketball at the moment and it seems like after every time Auburn loses and I talk to somebody they ask me what's wrong what's going on and that uh, Auburn fans are scratching their heads at the moment because even after the Baylor loss folks still were thinking you know this is the final stretch of the season you've got some very winnable games left on the schedule 
You've got Georgia. You got Ole Miss this week. You're more talented than those teams. You've got Vanderbilt coming up tomorrow. You've got a very winnable stretch here before you get into some difficult conference games. You still got to play LSU. You still have to play Kentucky again. Still got to play Tennessee. You still have to play Alabama. You've got some tough games left down this final stretch. And folks still had a lot of promise after that loss to Baylor. And now you're thinking, how do you jumpstart? How do you jumpstart the battery? This car's dead at the moment. How do you get this thing back on the road and get back and get back to winning? Get this thing back home or get this thing to the shop and get it fixed. And right now, Auburn. There, there's just a couple of things that they're not doing well. They're actually, you know, statistically doing poorly, and we'll get into that in this segment. But it's not that Auburn's playing poorly or playing without a lot of enthusiasm. Maybe you could say that about the Georgia game, that maybe they didn't give a 110% effort. or And even out of the mouths of some of the players in post-game press conference scenarios, they were saying, well, hey, we, we may not have taken Georgia as serious as we should have after the way that Auburn beat them the first go-round. And that was like an 18-point victory for Auburn the first go-round. So maybe that had a little bit to do with it in the Georgia game, but I don't think that had anything to do with it in the Ole Miss game. I felt like they played hard against Ole Miss. They just got beat. Auburn's not playing poor, per se, but they aren't playing well enough to win at the moment. I agree with that. I mean, they just, they're just just a few just bounces, a few like calls here or there, a few shots falling here or there, a few times where you get a, a rebound and limited possession. They're just like a few of those things away. And it just seems like those things aren't happening on top of, you know, some of the mistakes and some of the stats that we're going to get into of why Auburn is playing poorly in certain areas. Then I'm going to let Sting handle all of that with his superior knowledge of all of those things. But, yeah, there's just certain things that Auburn isn't doing well. And then when it comes down to just those iffy things, those one plays that if it goes your way, it changes an 86 to 84 game to the other side. And you win 86 to 84 instead of losing that way. And those things aren't happening for Auburn. That's not quantifiable in certain situations. Sometimes it's just how the game of basketball works. Or Yeah, we're going to get into all the stats and everything of why they are playing poorly and why some of those things aren't happening to them in a certain degree. Yeah, I just I think the problem is the defense at the end of the day because it seems like and, you know Auburn's blocking more shots than any team in the country, I think, still. And They're actually fourth in the country. They've they dropped now? Yeah, okay. subpar performances, I, I would say. In that, They only had like four against Baylor and then – they uh let, let's see what they had in the total stat line against Ole Miss here statistically because I don't believe they had that many they had five against Ole Miss that dropped them back down to 6.1 which right now you're splitting hairs they're fourth in the country in shot blocking right that's a lot of blocks per game but it seems like if they don't get the block then the other team gets points sometimes or at least it did it seemed like that against Ole Miss to me personally just sure well well let's look at the stats then I mean you, you look at Auburn over this three game losing stretch the first thing that I go to statistically for Auburn is that primarily Auburn is struggling to defend its own rim. But I thought Auburn was the top shot-blocking team in the country. That means nothing to me right now. They're fourth in the country, actually, at the moment in blocks. The Tigers, though, are 213th in defending two-point shots. Over this three-game losing streak, Auburn has allowed its opponents to shoot 52% from inside the arc, which is a pretty high margin. You get north of 50%, teams are doing pretty well against you. You get below 50%, eh. It, it's fine but if you get like lower than 48 percent then you're having a bad day in, inside the arc Auburn's having a hard time depending uh defending inside their own rim right now and while they are a good shot blocking team those to me feel more like bailouts based off of poor defense and allowing penetration at the top than actually defending its own rim consistently well throughout the entire course of a ball game and you look at some of the stats that Auburn put up recently over these last couple of games I mean this past Saturday against Ole Miss Auburn was 
Uh, Auburn allowed Ole Miss to shoot 27 of 47 from inside the arc. At that, I mean, that's above 50%. Can't you can't do that. And you look at what they did against Georgia, 26 of 51. That's above 50%. So against the two teams that Auburn is supposedly more talented than, they're getting bodied and bullied in the paint. Now against Baylor, they did decently well, 20 of 42, still almost 50%, but you can give them a pass in the Baylor game and because Baylor's of who it is. Team, right. right. Yeah. But these last two games where Auburn is supposedly more talented – Kamara dominated Auburn in the Georgia game. Mm-hmm. And then Ramel White this past weekend yeah. dominated Auburn as well in the Ole Miss game. So Auburn right now is getting dominated in the paint at the moment, yeah. at least on the defensive end. I think Auburn's doing fine on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, they're scoring. That's the problem is they're scoring just fine. The problem is they're allowing too many points, and that's what's getting out. I mean, Ole Miss scored 86 points. I guess it includes overtime, but... Still, you look at the percentage, though, they were really efficient for a team that came into the ball game at 117th in Kim Palm's offensive efficiency ratings. You look at their field goal percentage, they shot 50%. This game was played at the exact tempo that Ole Miss wanted it to. Both of these teams shot you know more than 60 shots but that's because of overtime this game was played 100 percent at the tempo Ole Miss wanted to play it at yeah they just controlled the game 100 percent from start to finish and that's kind of what we we were talking about last week was how Ole Miss was struggling on offense well lucky for you you got to play the Auburn defense and yeah that really I, I, that, I, I that held notice. true that you held made true. that point last, it, on last Friday's show you're like yeah, the Auburn defense could be what could jumpstart an Auburn offense, or and, not an Auburn offense, an Ole Miss offense. And it looks Good like jumpstart an Auburn offense, though, if you need to scramble to score. But and and I did just say, I did just say from start to finish, Auburn had the game controlled against them by Ole Miss. Look, Auburn had a had a substantial lead throughout the ball game. But what I mean when I say that is, Ole Miss put the tempo where Auburn did not want it to be. It felt like this game was played at Ole Miss's pace throughout the entirety of the game and when you look at the possessions and what this thing came out to be score wise at the end of regulation it felt like this was played at Ole Miss's tempo not necessarily at Auburn's tempo which when you look at Kim Palm's rankings Auburn is top 30 top 20 something like that right now and their tempo rankings Auburn's one of the fastest teams in the country Ole Miss is in the bottom of the barrel right now in the 300s and that's just their style of play that's not an indication of how good of a basketball team they are they just prefer to play a slow brand of basketball and I feel like Auburn was subject to that for the entirety of the game what's shocking is Auburn did really well in it from an offensive standpoint the the lower the lower the slower paced game for Auburn did not didn't hurt them off from an offensive standpoint they still shot 47 percent from the from from the field they shot 42 percent 41 percent from three inside the arc they did well too let's see Auburn's inside the arc was 18 of 34 so Auburn and and this brings me to my second point about what's wrong with Auburn at the moment look it's no secret Bruce Pearl teams they're gonna live and they're going to die by the three and right now Auburn's dying by the three not necessarily this past Saturday against Ole Miss because Auburn did once again shoot north of 40 percent from beyond the arc but let's look at what Auburn's doing right now from inside the arc and why I think they should be relying on that a little bit more than maybe the amount of threes that they're shooting Auburn right now over this three-game losing streak is shooting just 32 percent on threes outside of this past Saturday Auburn's been a poor three-point shooting team they were poor against Baylor they were poor against Georgia Inside the arc across these three games, Auburn is shooting 55% from inside the arc. That is that is enormously high. That is well above Auburn's, well, I would say well above Auburn's season average because Auburn's season average is still at around 54%. But for most teams in college basketball, you're hovering around that 50% mark. Auburn is several percentage points above that over this three-game stretch. 
you look at what Auburn does traditionally in conference play they they shoot the second most threes out of any team in the conference even though they rank first in two-point percentage that 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 seems like an enigma to me that that is a conundrum to me that the team that is so good at scoring inside the arc they shoot so many threes and they're a rather average three-point shooting team when it comes to percentage they take a lot of threes and they make a lot of threes but it's not necessarily at an efficient clip and when you look at these last three games for Auburn in the shot selection breaking down some of the percentages on shot selection here over this three game losing streak Auburn has shot 42 percent of their shots from beyond so nearly half of Auburn's shot selection and maybe it's unfair to say nearly half but 40 percent of Auburn's shot selection takes place away from the basket even though Auburn is actually a very good team close to the rim and it doesn't make sense to me I think this team would be better served maybe with the way Jalen Williams is playing at the moment I mean he dropped another 20 points on Saturday the way that Jalen Williams is playing the way that Sharif Cooper is getting to the bucket it would make more sense to me that Auburn would put more of an emphasis down low than they would be shooting threes and look we can't all we we can all sit here and think you know throughout this throughout this whole season we can call this team young they're not really young anymore this is not a young team. They have played together for 20 games now. This Auburn team is not young. They've been together. They've played 20 games. You cease to be freshmen and sophomores at this point. You're all re- you're almost juniors and sophomores now for some of these freshmen moving up. And so when I look at this group, I'm thinking, I can't call them young anymore. They've got to begin to adjust. And I still see a characteristic of a low IQ basketball team across the across the floor. Even Sharif Cooper, I think, at times may be exhibiting some low IQ basketball moments. Well, it's it's funny that you say that because the whole time you're tell you're sitting there talking, I'm thinking, there's not a guy on this team that when they go to shoot a three, I'm happy about it. If I'm being honest, you know what I mean? Like, when, yeah. you don't have that guy. That, okay, confidence no probably. Yeah, that's what I mean. Better, yes, yeah. that's what I mean. Like, you're just not confident in them. You have guys that you know can shoot the three on and this team, and it could be wide open. And you're, but you just never have that full confidence like you used to have with a lot of the guys that Auburn was running through here with on those three-point like shots. Brown guys like Jared Bryce, Harper. Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, when you saw them open, and even Chuma towards the end of his Auburn tenure, you would mm-hmm. see those guys shoot open three, and you go, that's probably going to go in. You don't think that with anybody on this team. No. You want another not-fun fact here? Sure. Auburn has not won the turnover battle it's 16 of its 20 games this season. Not sure. They've, only, they've yeah. only won four they, games this year in the in the turnover battle. It's wild. More of on the line on the other side of this break here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. The number to call, 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. And now joining us on the phone lines, Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. Jeremy, how you doing today, buddy? Happy Monday, guys. Hope you guys are having a great show out there on the plains. Looking forward to this interview, man. Appreciate it, my man, and uh, I, I hope you enjoyed your big game Sunday. Uh, you know, I, I got to know what was what was on the food plate last night. 
Uh, well, it was a Zaxby salad. We uh, we didn't go big or, <laughs> or, or anything like that. We got a quick Zaxby salad and just watched the game at home. You know, trying to get at that age, you no, know, we're starting to count calories. So we're trying to keep down on those. But good game, right? Tom Brady, officially the GOAT. I don't think Patrick Mahomes could ever catch him. He'd have to win nine or so, in my opinion, just because a 40 plus year old Tom Brady just beat him. What a, it was an awesome game, awesome defense for the Bucs. Tom Brady finds a way to do it again. Does. Pat, uh, does Tom Brady, I almost said Patrick Mahomes, I almost said Patrick Brady, does, does Tom Brady win another Super Bowl before he decides to hang it up? Did he look close to being done last night? I no. Mean, no. He's like Nick games, Saban. Exactly. In the games that are truly mattering down the stretch, he is able to look like he did in 08, 09, 10, 11 when they made that run. It's just he never looks off in the games that matter. Now, regular season, sometimes his arm strength doesn't look there. But when Tom Brady's adrenaline gets going, when his when the juices start flowing, man, he's still as good as, as he's ever been. And I think last night was there. He, you saw the Brady and Gronk hook up multiple times, multiple touchdowns. It looked like the Patriots all over again with the, almost a Patriots defense. I mean, how impressive was that defensive performance last night? So what's your big takeaway from, from last night's Tampa Bay Buccaneers championship win? Now, the Chiefs will be back. And they had a horrible offensive performance, missing two tackles. Patrick Mahomes playing on nine toes instead of ten. Um, the Chiefs will be back, but doesn't like Tom Brady's done. And uh, expect a lot of people to jump on that Buccaneers bandwagon uh, over the next couple of years. He might have three or four more years left. So let's switch gears here. Obviously, you cover Alabama basketball for Radio Alabama Sports or Alabama Athletics in general. And Alabama suffering a loss on Saturday to the Missouri Tigers, their second loss on a Saturday in a row. This Alabama basketball team, you know, what, what's going on at the moment? What, is, what does this Missouri game mean for Alabama, or, or does it mean nothing at all? Well, it probably means the one seed is gone, unless Alabama can just go on an absolute tear, win the SEC regular season title, which they still should, and the SEC conference, uh, or the uh, tournament title as well, and then maybe some other teams lose. But for Alabama, I think it means that um, – you're really not playing great basketball over your last five. You dropped two out of the last three. You're not shooting the three ball well. We always talk about 40% from three. Alabama's not getting there. They're not rebounding well. They're not scoring in transition well. Um, if you're not a fan, it's making you nervous because you're used to the February, early March collapse. And you got to get something on the right track. Is it Jordan Bruner? He's a couple weeks away. If he's just saving grace, you might be in a little bit of trouble. Um, Nate Oates has got to get this team ready to go. You can't. Alabama fans aren't going to hear Alabama. We just didn't have enough effort. We weren't ready to go too many times more. You played a Big 12 team on the road in a ranked game. You didn't have any energy, and you come out against Missouri on the road against another Big 12 school, essentially, and you don't have any energy. So what's the problem? Why is there no energy? to fight for a one seed. Fan base is energized. They love it. Is it a practice issue? Is it a player issue? they got to get it figured out because this is still a pretty important stretch here and Alabama doesn't really want to drop too many more games. What do you think, if you can give me like a 1-10 to 10 rating, what do you think the panic meter should be for an Alabama fan watching this basketball team? Uh, well, yeah, well, if you're me, I'm sitting at about 5. It's almost 5 right now. Because they haven't played good basketball in the last five games. They're fortunate to win three of those, but, God, they're, they're not playing well. They're not shooting well. They were down by 25, or 20-plus 20, 20 at one point in that game. And if Missouri doesn't turn the ball over what felt like a million times in the last four minutes, it's not close. And kudos. I get it for all you moral victory people out there. Yeah, Alabama came back and they had a chance to win. They didn't. 
The reason why is because they played 35 minutes of poor, poor basketball. And, it, and Alabama's expectations are no longer make the tournament. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, guys. This isn't make the tournament. This is make a run in the tournament. And they don't look like a team right now that will make a run in the tournament. They're ranked in the top ten. It's time to start criticizing Alabama basketball like a top ten team. You, you've gone on social media several times on Twitter saying Uh-oh. that this – hey, I'm here for it. And, and, I, and I agree with what you're saying because, you know, you explained it to me. You and I talk a lot off air. You've explained this point to me, and you're 100% right. On Twitter, you have said on multiple occasions that this Alabama basketball team at the moment looks like an Avery Johnson coach team. What do you mean by that? Well, in a lot of major categories, and even on defensive categories, listen, they're not an Avery Johnson coach team. I still think Nate Oates is playing at his absolute, or coaching, his team is playing at its floor right now, which means they have a very high ceiling. We've seen their ceiling, we've seen their floor, and I think we got their ceiling and their floor in that game against Missouri. They have to find a middle ground. The issue is, over the last five games, and this is according to Avery Johnson's second best season in Tuscaloosa, not his best, not his worst, but pretty much average Avery Johnson, they're scoring less points per game. They're having more turnovers per game. Their three-point percentage is a little bit higher. But over the last five games, Alabama's shooting like 33% from the field. We're not even talking about the three ball. From the field, they're not playing with a lot of energy. They're out of sync, not shooting the ball well. It just feels like they're in this traditional second half of SEC play lull. And how are you going to get out of it? I get it, guys. They made a great run at the end of the Missouri game. But they can't play – 25 to 30 minutes of bad basketball down the stretch in this season and expect to be with possession of the ball at essentially the buzzer with a chance to win. That's not going to happen a lot. Missouri choked the last five minutes, and a lot of teams down the stretch aren't going to choke. They're going to keep their foot on the gas, and I think a lot of teams are playing Alabama not like old-school Alabama. They're playing Alabama like they're a top-ten team, and you're getting everybody's best shot right now. And, yeah, so your point is not that they are a Avery johnson coach basketball team but right now statistically they're looking like what those avery johnson teams looked like and i couldn't agree more i I think a lot of statistically worse right and i and i think a lot of people out there are having a hard time and i think some alabama fans when some of the flag you've gotten back from it it seems like they're having a hard time wrapping their minds around kind of a a complex statistic that's not easy to find that's something you got to go and crunch numbers for that's something you got to go and do some research on and obviously you've done that in this Alabama team right now. It's probably comforting to know, though, that if you're a fan of this Alabama basketball team, that their floor right now, if they can find a way to get off of it, that it is an Avery Johnson coach basketball team. That, you know, you look at his time, he did still put them in the tournament, uh, at least on one occasion. Yeah, listen, their floor, floor, no doubt, is Avery Johnson's ceiling. They're playing at their floor right now. They need to find a middle ground and play more towards their ceiling down the stretch. And I think that's key. Avery Johnson was the king of losing close games. I mean, he had, a, I think, a top 15 Oregon in the BJCC, had multiple leads in that one at one point one season, choked that one away. Avery Johnson played a lot of close games, and they played great defense, and they kept games close. But Alabama, under Nate Oates, still has a chance to be in the lead eight, final four team. They just have to find it. And the biggest change is how teams are playing Alabama. They're meeting three-point shooters 30 feet from the bucket. Without Jordan Bruner, they don't have much of an inside game. They're letting Alex Reese shoot as many threes as he wants. And if you're playing Alabama, that's kind of the, that's kind of what you want to happen. You want to see reshooting threes, not Petty, not Shackleford. And where's Jordan? Where's uh, Primo been? Right? I mean, Primo. I mean, he he's almost non-existent. He's not getting his shots up. He's not scoring any points. Um, somebody texted me and asked me if he even was on the team 
plane going to Missouri last week. <laughs> they got to find a way to get him back involved because I think that freshman is that good, and they have to find a way to get him involved to make to to continue this run that's wrong. It's still a historic run for Alabama. They're sitting here with one loss in the SEC. Everything he wants right in front of you. They just got to start playing better. So now Alabama's probably sitting around that number three seed right now. Do you think that's what do you think on that? Do you think that's a little too high? Do you think it's a little too low? Do you think it's right where they should be? How do you feel about that? I think if they find that middle ground, that's probably where they'll end up being, and they still have a chance to hit a two-seed if they play their middle ground and a little bit higher the rest of the year. Um, if you told me in you know November that they'd be a three-seed, me, this fan base, everybody that watches Alabama basketball would have been the most excited person in the world. But They probably would have laughed. Are, yeah, they probably would have believed you. They would have been the most ecstatic people in the world, but you got to realize they've gotten a taste of being in the top ten. They've gotten a taste of seeing their names on uh, Joe Lenardi's one seed list, right? Now it feels like every time you lose a game, it's it's this big, you know, come apart, and it's really not. They just have to start finding a more consistent offense, offensive performance from Petty and Primo, and they're do, they're getting it done on the defensive end. I still think if you're not giving up seventy, I mean, you're playing pretty well. So a little more consistency on offense, a little bit more energy, and Alabama can nab a two seed and, and make a run. Jeremy, I appreciate you hopping on with us, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. Thanks, guys. Y'all have fun. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. Once again, keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at at RadioALSports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. I agree with everything he had to say there about Alabama basketball and if you missed that conversation once again you can go and find that on the podcast wherever you get your podcast something I want to add to this to your last question that you had there Levi about is this team a three seed I think that they will more than likely they won't finish they will not get to the one seed I don't think this team deserves a two seed at best they deserve a three seed this is a down SEC it's a bad SEC really the the second best team in this league is Missouri right now and Missouri is not a top 15 or at least traditionally a top 15 or top 18 power I'm kind of wondering if there are any teams in this league other than Alabama that quite deserve to be ranked maybe Tennessee as well but they have really struggled since they've gotten into conference play six and four overall depends on which Tennessee which sure. one I'm saying, which one are you which one are you getting there are times where they look like a top 25 team there are times they look unrankable and not even a tournament team at times but lately when this Alabama team's played some great squads like Oklahoma and even Missouri you know as a decent team they've struggled so I'm questioning them a little bit moving forward on the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 1067 Rolling through your Monday afternoon. Noel Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama the day after the big game. Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning an NFL championship over the Kansas City Chiefs 31-9. Outstanding effort down there in Tampa last night. First team to play in a Super Bowl in their own stadium. First team to win a Super Bowl in their own stadium but before we wrap up this first hour of on the line let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight 
Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Well, football season is over. How will we cope? Kind of like all the women who were sent home on last week's episode of The Bachelor, moving on with a new episode of The Bachelor tonight on ABC at 7. Maybe you want to cope by going through the extraordinary life of Forrest Gump, hunker down for three hours starting at 6 on AMC. Packed out college basketball schedule on television tonight. Miami is at North Carolina on ESPN at 6. Moving over to 8, the schedule heats up a little bit on FS1 number 7 Ohio State at Maryland. Oklahoma State is at Kansas on ESPN and at 10 on ESPN also the top team in the country, Gonzaga will hit the road to Provo to play BYU and the Mountain West San Jose State is at San Diego State on FS1. Two NBA games are on NBA TV. The Rockets are at LaMelo Ball and the Hornets at 6 and at 8.30 Giannis and the Bucks are at the Nuggets. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you. Yes, how will we cope without football? Intern Sting, and during the break, though, brings me to the realization or lets me know that FCS football apparently starts this weekend. And he's fist bumping right now, but like, where can I find that on television? I'm trying to I'm trying to find research on that, but is that gonna be on TV? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll watch if, if it's on. If it's not, that's a travesty because, look, what do you what do you have better to show on the weekends? Other, well, I guess college basketball is going to get better rank, ratings, of course, but where, like, we, it needs to be somewhere, right? Like, it needs to be on, like, ESPN Plus or, or something out there. It, it has to be because, like, folks, I think, out there would like to watch that. This is a – this kind of feels like a trial run year, though, for the FCS to maybe – do this permanently and not try to compete with the fbs because i think people would watch this of course it's also i've had other people make the counterpoint to me though that these guys get drafted and they would not want this to coincide with the nfl draft. i, I agree with that and you look I, at last night's super bowl you, i mean tyree kill played at west alabama it's like that this happens like people yep. get drafted from some of these smaller universities so you do have to account for that follow espn 106.7 on facebook and twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station on the line the drive with bill cameron analysis news and more that's all on espn 106.7 find the website on espnau.com one of my favorite segments of the week let's get to it wheel of misfortune it's time for the Wheel of Misfortune. We take a look at the butt-fumbling, head-scratching choke artist of the week and select the biggest loser on the Wheel of Misfortune. One of my favorite segments of the week. Just all in, in, in good jest and in good fun. But let's go ahead. I'll give everybody my uh, my unfortunate person, you know, or 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 in this case, it, it might be a uh, <laughs> it might be a body part. Let's spin the wheel. So for my will of misfortune nomination this week, I'm going with Patrick Mahomes' big toe. It's got to be hurt. <laughs> he ran what 490 something yards away from pressure on av- or on uh, last night in the big game. My goodness, you know that toe is hurting this morning. Pro Football Focus put out a stat. I, it was either today or after the ball game last night. I think I saw it after the ball game last night. But thirty-eight pressures last night. The Buccaneers put on Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Only five the Buccaneers put on, or excuse me, reverse. Only five the Chiefs put on the Buccaneers. How did someone on that defensive front not win the MVP? I, I like I I could make a good case for someone like Vita Vea getting the MVP. He had a bad stat line, but man, if you watch tape, he was everywhere. 
you're going to be hard pressed to to put somebody in there other than Tom Brady. It's going to be hard. It's, it's hard to do it with anybody other than a quarterback. Now it's really hard. Sure. You have to absolutely it's like the Heisman Award. You have to absolutely ball out again. That was an Alex Smith stat line with three touchdowns. I don't want to hear the three touchdowns, one in seven but you yards. You can't statistically you can't statistically quantify his leadership and his impact on the game. Didn't turn the football over. Looked calm, collected all night long. Connected for three TDs. He ran the offense. He didn't make a single mistake last night. No, that, and that's good. I mean, that's why he's the greatest quarterback of all time to ever play the sport. I'm just saying I wasn't – me saying that I wasn't impressed with how he played last night isn't a knock. He just set the bar so high. That just means that if you're scoping him with the Tom Brady in mind, it, it wasn't just a great game stat-wise. Again, leadership, the ability to not turn the ball, that's big. Him not turning the ball over is huge. You saw what happened when Jameis Winston was there and that he's turning the ball over 30 times in a year. They're not even sniffing the playoffs. All right, let's spin the wheel for Levi now. It pains me to say this, but the biggest loser is Tails. Tails failed <laughs> on the kickoff, and it is just so sad. I thought the coin had a really good week of practice. I thought it was coming in hot. I was just I. What about Gatorade? Gatorade was blue. A shocker. Nobody saw blue coming. So what about orange? Like why couldn't orange be considered for this? I, Tails was just the bigger loss for you there. Tails just hurt so bad. I just it. I spent all week going to bed thinking about Tails and how Tails never fails. Well, you know what? Tails failed. How do you how do you sleep at night? Uh, I I don't. I didn't sleep at all <laughs> last night. I, I had nightmares all night thinking about what that coin did to me, and so, I can never forgive it. So now that Tails has failed and has showed its illegitimacy and has showed its um, its ability to fail, its fallacy, does that throw into question any other decision that you've made in your life based off of a coin flip where you have said Tails never fails and it has given you Tails, but now you think, well, maybe I didn't make the right decision? Tails, Tails hurt me. Tails hurt me a lot last night. I, I feel... I think it throws into question any other decision that you've I've, ever made. I've lost trust. That was probably my most stable relationship I've ever had in my life is with the wow. coin flip. And now... Brutal. And now it's just... I, I have a knife sticking out of my back from what Tails did to me last night. Brutal. Didn't the Kansas City Chiefs win the toss? Yeah, they called heads. heads. right? And they, they called the heads toss. and then won the toss. And I'm sitting there going, why would you do that? Well, why I, would you do I, that I to me? I think you could say heads failed, though. In that case, because they won the toss, so did Tails really fail? I mean... What if the Buccaneers had won the toss and things didn't go their way? You never know. I mean, this is some this is some Marvel adventure stuff, some some time some time traveling right. stuff, man. You can't you can't mess with that. There there is a parallel timeline. So what if Tails, Tails what if Tails not winning the toss was what it, it didn't fail you? What if what if Kansas City winning the toss with heads is what? is what won them the ball game. So what you're saying is the MVP should have been the coin. <laughs> well, according to you, Tom Brady had a bad stat line. So. I don't think he had a bad stat. I just think that somebody on that defensive line should have got it. I think someone like Vita Vea, Jay, you know, Pierre Paul, Sue, even Levante David, like those guys had a real case for an MVP of the big game. And I feel like it was just automatic that if the Bucks win, they're going to give it to Tom Brady. And – I just feel like someone on the defensive front deserved it a little bit more because they played out of their mind last night. Also, why didn't the Chiefs run the ball more? 17 rushes yeah, I, for 6.3 yards per that. carry. If you're having such a, a tough time, like why? keep the ball out of the hands of the other team, run the ball. If you can't pass protect, run the ball. And maybe you can 
Maybe you can find a way to back him off from the blitzing. I don't know, but that does it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two in just a few moments. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Day after the big game, Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking home the trophy. They got the loot in Tampa Bay, 31-9. They defeat the Kansas City Chiefs in a dominating performance. I'm getting a head nod there from, uh, I'm I'm getting a head nod there from from intern Sting. Uh, I guess he liked what I said. I don't know what... He got the loot. He liked that. Okay, he got the loot. Arg, <laughs> And uh, it, it was a complete performance last night for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, dominating in every area of the game, even in penalties. Wink, wink there to uh, to Levi in the room with a, with a nice eyebrow raise. Levi uh, powering through the show here. I wanted to, We talked a lot about the the big game last night in the first hour if anybody missed that go and check out the podcast wherever you can get your podcast let's take this in a different direction now changing the conversation who's going to retire first i've had somebody i know close to me has asked me to put this out on the radio and 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 field this question and after thinking about it for a week or two now and maybe we've even talked about this already briefly the the easy answer for me here is still tom brady but who's going to retire first? Who's going to step away from the game first? Nick Saban or Tom Brady? Because coincidence that everybody going into this year is saying that these guys' dynasties are done and they reassert control in a big way and they're showing no signs of stopping at the moment. I mean, Tom Brady already said last night, he's coming back. He's not showing any signs of stopping at the moment. Which one of these guys do you think steps away first? But I, I think the easy answer here is Tom Brady probably. I think so, but every time I think that he's about to be done, like I think that Father Time is going to catch up with him and hit him physically like we haven't really seen with him yet. I mean, yes, he's definitely not the same athlete that he used to be not even five years ago, but he's not off the cliff yet. He's still able to go out there and perform. I mean, you looked at Drew Brees this year, Peyton Manning his last season. Those look like corpses out there trying to throw the football, and Tom Brady just looks he looks fine. He he looks just a step slower than what he used to be. But other than that, he looks like he can still play for five more years. He looks good. He looks he looks lean. Like he does not look. He doesn't look like he's graying. Like he that looks Florida sunshine. I'll do it to you. He looks good right now playing ball. But so does Nick Saban coaching at the moment. Like Nick Saban's really not showing any signs of age yet. And so the reasoning why I say Tom Brady will be out of the game before Nick Saban ends up out of the game is because. Time will catch up to Tom Brady quicker than it will to Nick Saban based off of the the um, what he's doing the intensity of the roles that they're in at least the physical intensity of course it's it's incredibly taxing on a college football coach as well especially at the University of Alabama but based off of the ability to complete the job 
there's a much larger window for Nick Saban to keep going I think than Tom Brady I think you're looking at Brady's end coming in the next three or four years which I think he very well could play through the entirety of these next three or four years before he starts looking like Brett Favre did right I just hope Tom Brady makes the decision to leave the game before he does look like Peyton Manning or Brett Favre did at the very end I agree with that I agree with everything I think that it's of course, Peyton Manning off. did get the ring, but he got the ring, but he did not look good in doing it. His his uh, his teammates were wheeling around, wheeling him around in his wheelchair all the way through the playoffs, but they got him there. I hope he sends Von Miller Christmas presents <laughs> every year because that helped a lot. But yeah, I, I want Tom Brady to go out on top before he you know hits that cliff because it's sad. It's sad when you see these guys and you know that they're done before they know they're done. The Drew Brees, I think the, they know they're done. The Brett Favre's, you know. We talked about those kind of guys, Peyton Manning at the end of his career, and you'd forget how good these guys are when you're watching them. I mean, even a different sport, Kobe Bryant, towards the end of his career, just... That was injury-related. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a shell of what Kobe Bryant used to be, and it's sad when you see something like that. So you hope he steps away. And again, Tom Brady, the most winningest franchise in NFL history. He has more Super Bowl wins than any other NFL franchise and on that it, that is also true it's amazing it's amazing stats he's got seven more than the Browns do you, you yeah I know oof. Oof, and, big <laughs> I mean he's got a touchdown more of Super Bowls than the Browns have even going to a to a game like the Browns haven't even appeared in a Super Bowl and Tom Brady's got seven rings seven half of his career has been spent playing that far in the postseason in the big game like I I can't get over that like that that is something that's just wild but and hey don't forget don't forget the Browns let Bill Belichick go that is true <laughs> that is very and very Nick Saban true. that's very true so we talked about this a little bit do you do you now think that Tom Brady's the best winner in a we'll say team sport because we kind of went through that the individual sport team sport felt. yes the undeniably individual, the individual sports it's really hard to compare undeniably he's got more rings than michael jordan he's you know I, i'm trying to think of soccer athletes because of course that's the sport that dominates the world yeah you know outside of our small little pocket here in north america but it dominates the world i'm trying to think of winners at that level and tom brady has passed even on on that scale, I can't think of anybody way way outside of the modern era of soccer. Bill Russell's like the only winner, but that was a different time when he was playing way back when. With one hundred percent, and it's just it, again, also, even that like, doesn't feel feel fair to compare the two of them. Also, NFL cap rules whole different yes. beast than what the NBA even has to endure now. Like the NBA is like. We have a cap limit. It's like then we Very have a soft. hard then we have a hard cap limit. Like you can go over the cap limit. There there are many exceptions. But this here one right NBA. here, you can't. But go this over. one you can't go over. Oh wait, you can if you pay us this much money. It's it's crazy, well, and that's what makes it a lot harder for NFL teams. Again, give credit to the Kansas City Chiefs for going back to back. That is so incredibly hard. Just getting to one is hard. There are franchises that haven't been to one, and you have Tom Brady who's won seven. That is such an incredible accomplishment. And the ultimate team game as well. Yes, it's it's hard to compare any other team sport athlete. We talked about it after break. You know, you can compare him to Serena Williams. It's very unfair because individual sports they play a lot more competition. Tom Brady, team sport, you got to have to figure that out around. There's more major titles in tennis, too. Yeah. Like, I, I think, I, wasn't that put on ESPN earlier today? I think uh, I saw maybe. an ESPN graphic about it. It's like, I'm having a hard time with the Serena Williams, Tom Brady comparison there because there are more majors throughout the course of a year. Tom Brady's got one chance every year to win a Super Bowl, just one chance, and he relies on his teammates to do it. Yeah. 
And that's why I think that not completely. I mean, he leads those guys, but he has to have other, he has to have fifty three other people help him, or fifty two other people help. That's him. why I think he's the greatest team sport winner of all time. It's hard to say athlete because there's parts of him that aren't as athletic as you would you would like to see. But uh, he's the greatest team sport winner easily. It's hard to even compare anybody with him in that realm. You have to start getting into individuals, and that's really hard. Again, you just noted the Serena Williams thing where they're playing a lot more. Tiger Woods, you know, dominant in his profession again, playing a lot more games per year. You know, a guy like Joey Chestnut who dominates the MLE. I mean, he could you could compare him to that guy. <sighs> I'm assuming MLE stands for Major League Eating. It does, yes. Wow. I do love I love some Major League Eating. Joey Chestnut, very slept on athlete in his realm for how dominant he's been in his sport. I would have thought that they would have came up with something a little bit more um careful's not the right word, something a little bit more pristine or prestigious than just major league eating something about eating just the word eating for a league name sounds very you know barbaric or uncivilized i don't remember i don't quite remember the term for it but it's pretty much trying to assimilate itself with sports by calling it major league eating because when you think of major league you think major league baseball so it's trying to mimic that and try to identify itself as a sport but why not major league dining Major League Dining does sound – that sounds <laughs> well, more pristine. Well, well, like, what are we doing with eating have, here? Have you ever like, seen these competitions? It, they are barbaric. What, what about what about Major League Grub or, or, or Major League Food? Or I, I don't know. Like, do we call – I don't even want to go down that route. Back to last night's game and talk about Tom Brady. The original question I asked, you know, who's going to retire first, Nick Saban or Tom Brady? I think Tom Brady's going to get out of the game quicker. I think that's an easy – selection just a small across window. those two yeah just a much smaller window he's probably got three or four more years i say that what if he played till he's 50 like adam vinatieri that would be sick that would be cool you know i don't think we've ever seen another athlete quite committed to his diet and to his physical ability as tom brady is too though and i don't think we i don't think we have an example of somebody else that has gone to that level of commitment before in terms of what they eat and how they work out and and how they condition their body i don't think we have an example to see how far in the past how far they've been able to go like tom brady is setting the precedent i feel like to see how long somebody like that could go like he's going to be the example one day of like hey if you if you treat yourself like this during your career you could go this far and look at how big ben has treated himself and big ben is no slouch to admit of how poor his diet and exercise routines are off season and during the season they look like two different people. Like, I mean, Tom Brady looks about 20 years younger than Big Ben does right now in his current state. And it shows you just what does this mean for athletes going forward? Guys who are going to just take all of this tip top, like nutritional, you know, modernization and extend their careers. I mean, that's it's crazy. Look, this is something that has not happened before at this type of at, at the quarterback position or even at football in general. You just don't see athletes do this. The next question I've got for you about Tom Brady, and there's just something inside me last night after Tom Brady won his seventh ring, something inside me said, this guy's going to win one as a coach. I 100% agree. I think he's going to end up winning one as a coach. I think he's going to go coach and win. He is too much of a competitor to when he retires. He might but not What go- if he decides to compete in something else? Like you know, the MLE. I'm joking. I'm oh, joking. The, no, he's not going to oh, do that. But what if he MLE. decided that would be a complete 180 turn for him Dieting, to go. That would be a, scarfing down right, hot dogs. Exactly. So that's not going to happen. But what if, what if he decides to conquer in the business game? Like this guy, his sole purpose in the league for him that like he has created is like, 
I'm going to win. I'm going to dominate this sport. I'm going to be the greatest that there ever was in football. Like that has been his sole goal. He has been chasing that. There is there some type of emptiness? How do you, when you retire, just go from that mindset to, yeah, I'm just going to sit around for the rest of the, for the rest of my life? Well, you don't. That's a reason that a lot of athletes just they it hits hard. I was listening to an interview of Shane Battier again, an NBA player, and how he was talking about you just miss that dynamic. Nothing replaces that because a lot of these people have been playing this sport that they're playing their entire life. You know, from the time they were thirty plus years. Yeah, and especially in miss, Tom Brady's case, and then you leave that and you. Nothing in life is quite that competition that you're looking for, where you're spending all year long trying to get to the very end and try to get to the top. That mountain, nothing can replace that, except in my opinion, for them, except for something like coaching, where that's why a you business. see a lot. I I think he would dominate a business. I think he would just absolutely. Dominate and obviously, he's still got his TB12 thing going on. Maybe he decides to take that to a next level. What if he becomes like a well-known quarterback coach? I think mean, I develops think, the next Tom Brady. I think. What he, if we go like full Rocky Five in this, and it's like cool. Rocky coming out? Now I can't even remember that kid's name from that. He's the kid from Oklahoma and Rocky yeah. Five. What if he? What if some young quarterback out there is like, I'm gonna get. Tom Brady to become my quarterback coach. I'm going to be the best there ever was. And then that Tom Brady cool. comes out of retirement and beats him in a Super Bowl. <laughs> you're implying that Or in street football, excuse me. Not a Super Bowl, but street that football. You're implying that he's retiring within the next you know, just like 20 or 30 years. Leaves they, his leadership, goes off to the side, and then it's like, I, 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 look, man, I'm tired of people comparing me to you. We're going we're gonna to play in some street football in, in the middle of Boston. And this kid ends up getting smashed by you know 55-year-old Tom Brady. <laughs> I, I, I think he'd be a good analyst too. I just don't think the analyst would do it. For, I don't think it'd scratch that itch for him. You know, yeah, I think beautiful human being, great way with words. I think he and knows clearly stupid high football IQ, just ridiculously through the roof. I think he would be amazing. I just don't think that would scratch his itch. I don't think. Here's the thing: like he's on he's on live television, you know, doing 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 his best Romo. He's on television right now. Then all of a sudden, you see Rob Gronkowski walking through the press box with a, you know, and he's like, "Hey, yo, Robbie G, how you doing?" A Rob Gronkowski <laughs> and Tom Brady broadcast with someone else doing play by play would be wonderful. I'd love to watch that dynamic. Rob Gronkowski already has experience in the television game to a degree. Did some broadcasting in his year off. I just I see Tom Brady being a coach one day. I really do. I don't know if he'll go to head coach. He's but you you talk about. And I think Bruce Arians was the one who said this. He paid Tom Brady and what some people are calling an ultimate compliment when you're paying it to a player. He says sometimes I just step out the way and let the guy coach. Yeah, and you have to do that. So when you he's have that obviously guy, good guy. at coaching. Yeah, when you have that kind of, he knows the game of football. It's just plain and simple. He knows, he knows the game it. of football better than any other player in football right now and maybe i'm not going to go as far to say maybe ever but like definitely at the quarterback position right more of on the line on the other side of this break we'll be back in just a moment you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater we'll be right back back on on the line noah gardner and levi fitzwater with you on espn 106.7 and on fox sports central alabama a great show so far today we talked a lot about last night's game between the Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs 31 to 9 victors are the Buccaneers bringing home a championship to Tampa Bay for the first time since 2002 on the second ever Super Bowl win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so I know they've been through a lot of pain a lot of suffering I know that as a Browns fan so you got to be happy 
for that group down there in Florida. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com and on Facebook, that's foxsports983.com. Before we get to crunching the numbers with Sting, you had an interesting ratings point on last night's game. Do you have that in front of you, Levi? Uh, I can find it real quick. Hold on. So you told me, and I know you'll get the numbers on it, that Last night's game actually had better ratings in Boston than it did in Tampa Bay. Yes, it was. And you can't tell me that's because people are at the game, because that's not accurate. Not accurate at all. Um, it it was around... Now, of course, we're looking at two different population distance, densities. We're looking at two different city sizes. But, but is it based off of is it based off of that? Is it just based off purely how many people are watching? Yeah, I think it's like on average per household. Okay. I'm having trouble where it was, but it was around fifty something. Sixty was the highest one in Kansas City. I do remember that. It was like a sixty two or so. And then I think it was like fifty six in Boston and maybe like a fifty two in Tampa or fifty one or something like that. Sure. What does that say? That is wild. That says that people love Tom Brady. I mean, look, one of my absolute best friends is a He's from Boston, and he is a diehard Patriots fan. He's rooting for Tom Brady. He's rooting for his guy. I would catch him while I'm sitting there talking to him, saying, us, what we're going to do. Because he didn't. He just associates with Tom Brady. Like They, they love him. They want to watch they him do. win. They want to watch him win. They realize that you know, he's the one who is responsible, and they got stuck with you know, the non-Hall of Fame useless head coach that just rode his coattails. Oh, there's a no. That's a no. Jo- that's a Joe. We all know Bill Belichick's a good coach. He is. He's a he's one of the best coaches to have ever done it, if not the best I mean, coach he to might have be, ever he, done he it. He might be the best in the NFL. But you got to pick and you know you got to pick at him since Tom Brady left and immediately won a Super Bowl without him. And Bill Belichick didn't make the playoffs. Sure. You got to pick at him a little bit. And, and that stat about the ratings isn't wild, but it, it's a cool stat I think because not, I think we would all agree that Boston's probably a more devout sports city to their team than Tampa Bay is. And they showed it in a different way last night, supporting a massive key player for them and what they had, you know, for so many years. So I, I think that's a that's a pretty cool stat and, and a great lead in here to crunching the numbers with Sting, because that's crunching some numbers right there. But Sting, do you have Vanderbilt statistics for me or do you have stuff on this past Saturday? I got Vanderbilt statistics. I like it. Bring it on. Yeah. Worst team in the SEC. We got it right here. Let's well, it's go. funny you say that. So a lot of us know how badly Auburn struggles at Kentucky, who they will be playing Saturday. Woo! Have, yep. Haven't Bruce won Pearl brought this since up. the 80s, I think. I didn't know how badly Auburn struggles at Vanderbilt. You want to take a guess how oh, many I know. times? I already know. I saw Bruce Pearl say it. One in 11 yeah. in their last 12 meetings yeah, going to, go to back Nashville. Further, 15 of the last 17 meetings uh, at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt has won. I didn't know that. It's Auburn bad. defeated Vanderbilt in Nashville in the year 2000 and did not do so again until 2019, two seasons ago. Yeah. And they've really fallen apart they over really the last have. five years or so. So that's shocking to know that they really have. But then again, you don't get you know an opportunity every year to play in Nashville. So I guess that right. does make a little bit of sense. Every yeah. other year if they're not on the rotation sure. for a home-and-home. Home. Yeah, and you, like you just said, Vanderbilt – Falling apart. They're four and forty in the SEC over the last two and a half years. Stackhouse coming into the job had an uphill battle. For but sure, now were... I think people are beginning to lose their patience because Vanderbilt is not showing any improvement whatsoever. Yeah, no, not not at all. I mean, they were 0 and eighteen in Bryce Drew's last year. Yeah, Jerry Stackhouse went three and fifteen 
the first season they're one and seven now. So five and nine or five and nine overall and one and seven at conference play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. And then, so we said kind of, we talked about Ole Miss there for a second. Auburn's allowing uh, more points per game than anybody in the SEC. I didn't know this is a 76.2. Right. Auburn, definitely you look at them on the year and I don't have their team stats brought up, but you know, when we were talking about this in the first hour, Auburn basketball across this three game losing streak, they're definitely not defending their own rim well. No. I believe they're in like the 280s in the country, at least going into this past weekend. They were ranked 284th and points allowed per game in the entire country. That was going into this weekend. I don't have what they are now. That's definitely, you know, they were in the mid to high 70s for that. You look at how they're defending their, their own rim at the moment. They're giving up 52% from inside the arc over their last three games, which is a three-game losing streak. But on the offensive end, Auburn's fantastic inside the arc. Yeah. Auburn's, Auburn's a fantastic team when it comes to scoring down low. But when it comes to defending down low right now, they are getting bullied. Yeah, it's a bad trend because I think you can argue that if you score 84 points in a game, you should not lose in college basketball. I can agree with that. The problem is you're just giving up way too many on yeah. the other end. This is just and, a bad defensive team right now. Yeah, and, and people are telling score, me it's a – go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to say, and if you score 90 like Auburn did against Alabama, you absolutely should not lose if you score 90 points in a game. I and think. people are telling me, well, it's a characteristic of youth. Look, this team's not young anymore. All of those yeah. guys that were sophomores and have been on this team already, look, they're not young anymore. They played last year as freshmen, significant minutes. Guys like Alan Flanagan, Jalen Williams, Jamal Johnson's been playing for two years now. Like all of these guys that played last year, Devin Cambridge, they are now juniors in my eyes. Like you're at the end of this year. You cannot give this group any, you know, that youth slack anymore. And then some of the freshmen here, outside of Sharif Cooper, like all of them are still like they, they have grown up. Like they are now sophomores. They have significant playing time compared to what most freshmen have after a year. This Auburn team, I, I don't think you can use the uh, of course, youth probably does impact it a little bit, but it's time that they it's time that they grow up a little and, and, and they yeah. they stop turning the basketball over. Because a fun stat that I gave you all in the first hour, Auburn has not won the turnover battle, but four times in their twenty game schedule, they've That's only terrible. won the turnover battle four times this year. They've lost it sixteen times. That that's something's got to change there. That that point's pretty self explanatory about why Auburn's losing games. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, I'm I'm a, little, I'm a little nervous about this game Tuesday night just because you know Vanderbilt's one and seven, sure, but they got guys in the top two in the SEC that in the major categories, points, assists, and rebounds. Scottie Pippen Jr. is second in the SEC go figure. with 21 points per game. Right? Yeah, go figure exactly. And 5.4 assists per game. Both of those numbers are good for second in the SEC. And Vanderbilt has uh, in the front court Dylan uh, Disu. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. 8.2 rebounds per game. What does his points per game totals look like? Let's see. He is averaging, oh goodness, 14.1 points a game. So that will be the matchup tomorrow that I want to look at. I want to see how Auburn guards him. What does he get? Because you look at this past weekend against Ole Miss, White for Ole Miss put up a 30-piece. And then in the game before that, what Georgia did with Kamara, he had like 15 points and 12 boards. Yeah, I mean, So. so like Auburn has not been able to shut out the other teams or at least limit the other team's best post player they've been able to do whatever they want to Romello White for Ole Miss and then for Georgia Kamara they they were able to get whatever they wanted 30 and 10 for White this past weekend that's crazy four blocks like if you got he had his way he got with him. bullied mm-hmm. they, he stole your he did lunch what, money did, did, did whatever he wanted to all game he stole your lunch money and bought food with it in front of your face <laughs> and you didn't do anything about it 
Yeah, that, that's that's accurate. Now, Auburn on the offensive end, I got to give credit right now, just like Bruce Pearl did during his press conference today. Jalen Williams is doing a lot down low. 16 points in this game. I think he dropped 20 against Georgia. I'm going to go back. I, I, he may have dropped more than 20 against Georgia. I wish I'd do that to your earlier point earlier in the he show. Dropped 21. I wish they would do that more often. I wish they would focus a little bit more on some of the, on the inside, inside stuff with Shreve Cooper and guys like Jalen Williams. Just some of those guys. Get Dylan Cardwell to not just be big for no reason, but get him to be physical and use that body that he has and play down low a lot better. So there's just some there's a lot of potential down there for inside the paint offense that would really work. If you could work inside out and get better looks at three, because they're not shooting the ball great from three, but they're also a lot of times they're not taking good shots. I mean, you're no. seeing Alan Flanagan just dribble up contested and shoot it three, from the moon from a contested standpoint. Forcing it a little bit too much right now. Yeah, and I think if we could work from an inside-out perspective, you know, put that defense tighter in, work that with Sharif Cooper driving, guys like Jalen Williams in the post, maybe even some JT Thor action down low, that's going to open up guys on the outside and have them get better looks, and maybe that'll improve their three percentage a little bit. Jalen Williams is on an absolute tear right now. Over the last three games, he has led Auburn in scoring in all three games. He was tied, though, with two other players in the Ole Miss game. Flanagan put up 16. He was 6 for 8, so I'm glad to see that he got back to his scoring ways. And then Cambridge put up 16. He was 5 for 12, but a paltry 2 for 7 from beyond the arc not exactly what you want to see there cooper right now not shooting the basketball great he still scored about 15 points he's going to get his he's going to get some a healthy helping at the free throw line as well to boost his point total up right now he's not scoring the basketball very well i mean he went on a major hiatus in terms of scoring on saturday but he's still assisting he's still helping out in that category i was asked on after the game this past weekend on espn 106.7 if i thought that Jalen williams was the best uh, offensive weapon for Auburn right now during this stretch and I, I still think it's Sharif Cooper because if the guy goes off the court Auburn's in trouble they fall completely apart so we can't undervalue Sharif Cooper right now as a, a as just you know a passing threat and being able to generate things and being a playmaker but possibly right now over these last three games I think you can make a really solid argument over the last week and a half Jalen Williams has been has been the best and the most consistent point scorer for Auburn and the most efficient at that and you know you were you were saying going back to the points that we made in the first hour about Auburn inside the arc Auburn shoots the second most threes out of any team in this conference yet they have the highest two-point percentage in the league in conference play not 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 in the nation but that's just not knowing that's not knowing what your strong suit is right now and trying to be something you're not yeah they're not, trying to be that typical Bruce Pearl team but they're just not not playing to their strengths and they're I don't not equipped. think and I don't think the strength of this specific roster even last year has ever been three-point shooting no not not in the past two years no not at no. all and it'll be interesting to see if it develops but I don't know if a lot of these guys have shown that ability just yet we'll be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Phone lines are open 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Call in. What's on your mind? We'll talk to you. Tomorrow we'll be talking with Robbie Weinstein, Vanderbilt 24-7 writer. I'm excited for that conversation tomorrow, and it's not just for the basketball game that will be taking place tomorrow night it is also because i'm excited to ask him about Derek mason somebody that was up close what what was at press conferences with this guy somebody that covered him while he was at vanderbilt 
and can tell us a little bit more in depth from a firsthand experience about what that defense is going to look like at Auburn or at least what what type of impact he's going to have so that's something to look forward to on tomorrow's show we'll be pre-recording that interview with him early on in the day and then we will uh we'll, we'll gladly play that on tomorrow's show for everybody to hear um it, it's I'm excited to learn a little bit more about what Derek Mason's bringing to the table obviously we've talked about it at length about what Derek Mason's bringing in, in, in a scheme change hard-nosed mentality a culture change on that defensive side of the ball and maybe not a maybe culture change isn't what Auburn needed on that side but when you looked at them this year I think you could say the Auburn defense was pretty soft this year I mean there were some guys who still hit hard but I, I think across the board if you were going to use a word to describe unfortunately two or three players get lumped in with you know the other eight or nine that that were kind of soft on that defensive side of the ball this year for Auburn the statistics don't lie you it's easy to get called soft when you get ran on like you did like like you did last year I mean A&M almost put up 300 yards on you that's not they had a good offensive line but still that is not an indicator of a strong or hard-nosed defense and I think Jared Mason's going to bring a little bit more conviction to that side of the ball and I'm interested you know to hear from him from a tactical standpoint what he brings to the table what's he like in the locker room you know what's he like with players I mean we're, we're going to go in depth on it yeah everybody always talks about how you know personal and how much charisma that Derek Mason has and we're going to be able to talk to someone who is up close sees that firsthand it's not just going to be oh yeah this guy said this we're going to talk to someone who witnessed it who saw what this kind of guy is not just from again the tactical standpoint from the personal side how is he do people respond to him well does it seem like his players enjoy him does he have that really just connection to the fans to the players to People who are, you know, people who are interviewing him because give us an idea of what kind of recruiter he's like. Yeah, we can hear what all that, that was stuff. like on the recruiting trail. Yeah, you know? it's, so, it's going to be very good for us to get that kind of information. So you definitely don't want to miss that tomorrow. It's going to be a really, really great interview. I'm excited for that one too. Right, you can find that once again here on on the line tomorrow. We will have Robbie Weinstein of Vanderbilt 24/7 on our show tomorrow. So make sure you stick around for that. Let's keep talking about this Vanderbilt trend, though. In our next segment, we'll, we'll get into more of the basketball side of things as Auburn's taking on Vanderbilt tomorrow in a Tuesday night midweek action for this basketball program. Desperately needing to bounce back. I think they will. But let's talk football here and really digging back into the Derek Mason side of things. Statistically, which area for Auburn next year do you think will take the biggest leap forward for Auburn basketball or for Auburn football excuse me (laughs) that's hard from a statistic standpoint I think it might have to be the defensive line because I don't think they did too much last year just I think that the bar is set lower for them so I think you could get into stuff like pass rush yeah I I just don't think that there's pass rush defending the pass I don't think defending pass was the real issue I'm just saying I just don't think they did a lot last year I think they'll what about points per game do you think that improved substantially I would like to hope so I would really (laughs) like to hope so I just we need a little bit on we just need something on defense in general of any kind any way shape or form last year Auburn allowed 25.1 points allowed per game I don't know if that's going to get south of 20 I, w- I would think that, that will I w- looking at the roster I think you could see that get back to you know 22 21 and that would be fine if Auburn could figure out things on the offensive end of the offensive end of the ball because what that 21 and 22 means it means you held the Ole Misses and the Mississippi States and the Arkansas of the world to you know to nothing in those games but it means you gave up in, in a, a decent amount of points you know like 27 28 something like that 
against the good teams but if you can score it doesn't matter right you're going to win the ball game and in this day and age of college football you, you need to be scoring some points you don't need to be just relying on that defense alone because you break their back some other defensive stats for Auburn last year uh you know they were given up on the ground 163.4 rushing yards per game 4.2 yards per clip teams just kicked the door down against Auburn's defense 4.2 yards per clip isn't terrible but the yardage is through the roof at 163 that's a lot that, that's a lot compared to what we've been seeing at Auburn yeah that's not what statistically we're used to seeing at Auburn and the hope is that Derrick Mason will be able to come in and change some of those because again defensive guy I, I think he will it's yet to be seen but you can't win football games in the SEC with that kind of defensive effort especially if you're not putting points up on the offensive side we're gonna head to the phone lines now we've got Specter on the line with us Specter, how you doing today I'm doing pretty good, you guys. We're doing really well. It's a, it's a good Monday. Ready to start our week off. Yeah, I got an opinion on this year's football team coming up. Go for it. Uh, I, don't ex- I don't expect too much because uh, it's a rebuilding year, especially on our offense. Um, when is the last time a first-year coach did well at Auburn? It was Terry Bowden, right? Well, Gus Malzahn so did take him to a natty. <laughs> to a what yeah, he took him to a national championship his first year yeah in 2013 he did yeah i forgot about that you're right <laughs> <laughs> that's right i mean and i understand that having a hard time you know remember that because the year before that was 2012 when auburn you know worst year in auburn football history yeah um who was the defensive coordinator then in 2013 uh i think a lot of auburn fans would say unfortunately it was ellis johnson <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that, yeah, I didn't think about 2013. That muted my point then. <laughs> uh, I, anyway, and I think Gene Chizik did okay in his first year. I mean, of course, I, I, they won eight games that year. It just kind of depends on what you'd say did well. I mean, eight's average, I guess, so maybe not well, but Chizik didn't do bad his first year. Bowden, of course, had, had a stellar start at Auburn, though. You're right on that year. one. He had a great first yeah. year. No, I was going to mention that about Bowden now. That actually should have been Pat Dye's national championship team. Sure. But, uh, you know, but that's, 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 that's another story, I guess. But, yeah, you're right. Bowden did go, what, 21-0 and before he lost? Yeah, and then, you know, obviously your point about Auburn not winning the national championship, NCAA has to ruin some things, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I wish the best for our team, but I don't see uh, much improvement. Uh, shoot, I, I tell you what, eight and five would be a good season for us this year. And, and, uh, and looking at the schedule, I think you know, other than the two game SEC uh, at the beginning of the SEC schedule, obviously going to Baton Rouge and then having to play Georgia the next week, that's that's tough. But I think you look at yeah. it, and I think A and M is going to be down. I think LSU is going to be down. I think there's a lot of winnable games for Auburn next year. I mean, it, I've seen some people put out their way early predictions of like nine regular season wins and i think that's best case now i i think you're more looking at probably an, an eight yeah. win regular season auburn team but i'd take that think, especially if they win a bowl game i'm thinking i'm looking forward more to seeing our, our our recruiting class for the for the next year and uh what mason can do especially on defense and what our offense can bring in on an offensive line but uh yeah, but anyway, that was my comment about that. I'm sure glad you told me about 2013. That'll be forever in my mind. Yeah, and a lot of and a lot of uh, and a lot of Auburn folks, a lot of Auburn folks at the end of Malzahn's tenure, we're gonna forget about. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna forget about 13. So hey, I understand Super Bowl, it. 
Let me tell you about Super Bowl. Go for it. Uh, Brady's team came to play at. You can't put all, that all on Brady's shoulder. I mean, that, that Tampa Bay defense shut down Kansas City. Right, and, and you know, uh, there's two good Auburn cornerbacks in that in that secondary. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, I heard the commentators talking about, you know, Kansas City offensive line. They've had to change guards and tackles around. Yeah, so what? You know, that doesn't change you out. That doesn't change the fact that Mahone can do what he can do, and he had a hard time doing it. I just think Kansas City just uh, underestimated Tampa Bay. And, uh, you know, every team has a bad day, but I can't believe that they would come into the Super Bowl, you know, unprepared. But uh, that, that was a story I was hearing on the TV, but that uh, their offensive line was switched around so much they, they didn't know who to – they didn't know their assignment, basically. And yeah, it's a good point that you bring up about them changing, you know, the guards on the line. It's it does yeah. impact it, but it doesn't impact the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers front on defense is yeah, absolutely exactly. outstanding. I mean, it, they're animals. I think if you'd have had you know the right players in the right position, you know, I don't think it changes at all. I think that they were just too dominant for the exactly Kansas City right. Chiefs offensive line. That defense came to play, and of course Brady did his usual thing, you know, but. Um, I, I think it was. I, I was pulling. For, I actually wanted Tampa Bay to win. I actually did because I wanted Brady to get number seven, and I was wanting to prove another point about Brady that uh, Brady was Patriots, and um, and he proved that that you take Brady away from the Patriots, you saw what the Patriots did. I kind of want to see though, and and I, I Brady and, and Belichick they go hand in hand, one hundred percent. Brady is a big part of what happened in New England. I kind of want to see what Belichick can do if he can find like what his, what the rest of his coaching career looks like. Obviously, he's getting up there in age a little bit, but I kind of want to see what the end of his career looks like if he can win another one. Because I think you know if he can win some without without Brady, then I think he he he'll have something to say about that discussion too. Well, actually, you know, he's got Cam Newton. So if Cam Newton gets over this COVID thing, I think COVID really put a dampener on his last part of his season. And, uh, and when Cam Newton comes back without any kind of COVID effects and he has a good spring and all that, I think he'd be ready to play. And they'll they'll have to get him some weapons too because they it's a it's a pretty they had a pretty bad roster going into this year at, at a lot of skill positions. But uh Spectre, yeah. we're uh we're about to have to get to a break, so uh we appreciate All you right. calling in though. Don't be a stranger. Okay, thank you, buddy. Once again, the phone number to call three three four three two one thirteen ninety or toll free at eight 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 three eight two seventy five oh two. That was Spectre. It it was a fun game last night, and and to his point about the offensive line, he's spot on. There's no excuses. Cleveland Browns, we had to call a guy up from the practice squad in the postseason. Oh yeah, we didn't have pass protection issues. Yeah, like I'm I'm 100 with him. You can't you can't put any excuses on the offensive line there. I'm I'm with him. That that Tampa Bay front animals. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up on the line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Following us soon in about seven minutes, we'll have The Drive with Bill Cameron coming up at 4 p.m. We'll be off the air in about eight minutes, excuse me. And then The Drive with Bill Cameron will be coming up at 4 p.m. you got four hours of local sports talk radio on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. So when it hits 2 p.m., you keep the dial right here 
uh, and keep up with On the Line and The Drive with Bill Cameron. Before we wrap up this show, let's head to What's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Well, football season is over. How will we cope? Kind of like all the women who were sent home on last week's episode of The Bachelor, moving on with a new episode of The Bachelor tonight on ABC at 7. Maybe you want to cope by going through the extraordinary life of Forrest Gump, hunker down for three hours starting at 6 on AMC. Packed out college basketball schedule on television tonight. Miami is at North Carolina on ESPN at 6. Moving over to 8, the schedule heats up a little bit on FS1 number seven ohio state at maryland oklahoma state is at kansas on espn and at 10 on espn also the top team in the country gonzaga will hit the road to provo to play byu and the mountain west san jose state is at san diego state on fs1 two nba games are on nba tv the rockets are at Lamelo ball and the hornets at six and at 8 30 Giannis and the bucks are at the nuggets i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight tomorrow in college basketball auburn will be taking on vanderbilt at 7 30 on sec network another tuesday night action after auburn was playing a lot of midweek wednesday games to open up their sec schedule now they got another tuesday night game and this is one that they've got to win you cannot lose to the worst team in the sec 10 and 10 4 and 7 over our 4 and 7 in conference 10 and 10 overall is auburn vanderbilt at 5 and 9 1 and 7 in conference play tomorrow we'll be talking with robbie weinstein vanderbilt 247 writer we'll talk with him about Vanderbilt basketball against Auburn we'll get his thoughts on Derek Mason as defensive coordinator at Auburn and then also we'll uh we'll talk a little bit about Clark Lee the new head coach at Vanderbilt as well so you'll want to stay tuned for that conversation that'll be playing tomorrow Auburn favored by five already going to this one take me through what's going on with the betting lines maybe right now and what that tells us about this game tomorrow I mean five points favorites is that it's not what you would expect for Auburn to be going into a game against a bottom feeder right now in the sec but isn't auburn a bottom feeder right now as well i mean they are bottom feeder they're third to last in the sec but you also think that this is a you think auburn's a much better team than vanderbilt but you do give the the road team a little bit of an uphill battle to climb even though without you know the amount of fans that we're used to auburn struggled we talked about it earlier auburn has struggled when they play in nashville when they gotta go play in when they have to go play vanderbilt they have struggled on the road historically and that's that's just facts. That's stats. That's something that's happened. And I think that's what you're seeing here. I don't really see a lot of nothing that jumps off on, in terms of who's betting on what and how that's influencing this. Because people probably don't care about this game that much. I agree with that. Well, that's the ones that a lot of people really love to try to find the value where the eyes aren't sitting there on it, and that will usually shift around. It just seems kind of more of more or less that the line is set the way it is, simply for the fact that Auburn has struggled to play at Vanderbilt. So Auburn is favored by five and the over under sitting at about 157 and a half right now that that is telling the story of like a 75 70 game obviously like that's a little bit more than that that would be like 77 72 or something like i I don't be surprised it's gonna be a lot it's gonna i don't think it's gonna be pretty basketball i think it's gonna be a lot of ugly turnovers and i mean you're probably gonna see a lot of cool you're probably gonna see a lot of offense problem is auburn's gonna not stop somebody more than likely it's probably gonna be vanderbilt being able to score a little bit better than they usually are doing i just think it's gonna be a little bit sloppy basketball from both sides. And I'm not saying that Auburn's going to be slop, just the only one that's sloppy. I think that Auburn is the better team just throughout from a person-by-person standpoint. I think that's what will win them the game, but I don't think it looks pretty. A look at Kempom.com's rankings here. Vanderbilt coming at 130th overall in the country. 
They are 73rd in adjusted offensive efficiency, 210th in adjusted defensive efficiency, and the 210th place there for Vanderbilt. That is abysmally bad for a power conference team to be down as far as 210th in defensive efficiency. And when you look at what they're doing in conference play, how they have fared against conference opponents, we've talked a lot about two-point percentage tonight. Are you defending your bucket? And this Vanderbilt team is giving it away like it's cheap. It, it, it is costing teams quarters to get a Coke in the Vanderbilt paint right now. And Vanderbilt is giving up right now in conference play this season a whopping 59% inside the arc. That's good for last in conference play among SEC teams. Auburn hasn't been great. Auburn's been pretty bad in that category too. But Auburn knows. I, I'm predicting right now Jalen Williams – and Dylan or Dylan Cardwell or both or maybe just the whole front court to do whatever they want offensively tomorrow I would love to see Dylan Cardwell I would love to see it be him I want him to play with just a little bit more aggressive aggression because he is such a big body he is such a talented basketball player and I think if he could just flip that switch and play just a little bit more aggressive and not as tentative I think he could really be something special with the talent he has. It's not a hot take when you look at it. I mean, they, when they're giving up 59% in conference play inside the arc, that, that somebody in the front court is going to have a huge game tomorrow, or all of them are going to share the love and have like 12 points apiece. I still love what you said. About it's a quarter to, quarter to buy a Coke uh, inside miss, the Vanderbilt. It's I'm, cheap right I now, man. When, I miss when I could go down to the store and get pop for a quarter. I mean, that was just the best thing. And Vanderbilt's over here, you know, going to school uphill both ways right like they're having a hard time but uh and the other thing that's a stark contrast for Vanderbilt right now they are not scoring inside the arc like Auburn is either though they are only shooting 48 percent which is average in the SEC right now that's good for eighth in conference play among SEC teams 48 percent from two-point land Auburn shooting at like 55 percent like Auburn is much higher than the average team in this league they are number one in the league at two-point percentage right now not that Auburn's doing well defending the arc or not the arc not that Auburn's doing well defending their own paint and defending their own rim they're not they're towards the bottom in that category but from an offensive standpoint they're doing what they want to down low and a lot of that probably has to do with the addition of Sharif Cooper but this Auburn team I would like to see put an emphasis on the paint on the post really it's not going to be called the post because this team isn't a back to the basket team but I would like to see this team put a lot of emphasis on getting paint touches and scoring around the rim because Vanderbilt's going to give it to them tomorrow I agree with that I want them to really establish that in like in the paint presence that they just don't seem to want to do sometimes it's they're doing well at it and they don't seem that they want to do it work inside out get your looks inside get the defense to collapse try to really hunker down and stop you that's going to get everybody open looks on threes and then you're going to start to start making those threes. So just work inside the paint tomorrow. It's going to be where your strong suit is. And with that being said, Vanderbilt is also dead last in the SEC in conference play in defending the three-point line. They allow opposing teams to shoot Love 42%. It. So really pick your poison here. But I would imagine they are at 42% on the arc because they are at nearly 60% from two-point land. So this Alabama team, in, or not Alabama, this Vanderbilt team in conference play giving up 82.1 points per game. Teams have been able to do whatever they've wanted on the offensive end of the floor Auburn should really be flexing their muscles tomorrow. If Auburn does not score more than 82 points tomorrow, I'm going to wonder what happened. I'm going to think, is this turnovers? Vanderbilt turns the ball over. Vanderbilt does not turn the ball over that much, but their opponents don't turn the ball over that much either. So Auburn should really have a cakewalk tomorrow on the offensive side of the floor. If they're not, I'm wondering if this is an Auburn issue and not an opponent issue right now. 
More talk about Auburn Vanderbilt tomorrow. We'll have Robbie Weinstein on the show to talk to us about Derek Mason. He's the Vanderbilt 24-7 rider. You'll want to be there for that. The Drive with Bill Cameron following us here. We'll see you tomorrow. You know where to find us.